If you want to make things that make things better, have fun doing it, and learn to help yourself and everyone around you flourish, well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Enliven. This is the show where we explore what's possible and the people, the principles, and the practices that are going to help you build enlivening products and enlivening organizations. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and in this episode, my guest is Barry O'Reilly. Barry and I cover a lot of ground in this conversation, and it is not one to miss. Now, before I get into what we cover in this episode, first, let me tell you a bit about who Barry is. Barry O'Reilly is a business advisor, entrepreneur, and author who works to help people invent their future instead of fearing it. Barry has pioneered the intersection of business model innovation, product development, and cultural transformation to help leaders and their organizations innovate at scale. Barry is the founder of ExecCamp, where he helps turn executives into entrepreneurs. He's worked with leading organizations from all over the globe, including ThoughtWorks, the World Health Organization, and the leadership teams of many of the Fortune 500. Barry has published two books, Unlearn and Lean Enterprise. He currently serves on the faculty of Singularity University and is a frequent contributor to The Economist, Harvard Business Review, MIT Sloan Management Review, among many other publications. Now, we start by dropping right into a powerful moment in Barry's career as a young entrepreneur. We go on to cover everything from deliberate practice to cultural change within an organization to how thinking we're right gets in the way of our own growth and what we can actually do about that. I will actually be your guinea pig for Barry to live demonstrate some of his unlearning techniques. That's right. He actually puts me in the hot seat for a minute there, and it's pretty interesting. Now, it's my pleasure to welcome him to the show. So without any further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Barry O'Reilly. Barry, we're already, we're already going, but you know, officially, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, here, look, it's a pleasure to uh, chat with you. you know, I'm uh, very interested in work you're doing. Happy to share some of the stuff I'm doing and, and see where it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, as, as we were chatting kind of before we, before we started recording, um, I love to start kind of more on the, the personal side. And one of the things that I, uh, I, I noticed when I was digging around, getting ready for this conversation, um, there was a blog post from a couple of years ago that I really loved of yours. And you, you were, I just had this picture and I was hoping you could sort of start there and, and paint the picture for us and, and just we'll see where it goes from there. But it sounds like you, at the end of your first year as an entrepreneur, were sitting in this beautiful rock garden in Kyoto, having some pretty profound realizations about sort of the nature nature of entrepreneurship and what it's really like. And, and I just, yeah, could you tell us that story? Yes, um, a, a pretty fun story, actually, or, or definitely an experience for me. Yeah, so uh, after I started um, my sort of uh, uh, company as I'm working on at the moment, uh, we, we took sort of, uh, well, we, we basically had four weeks to go to Japan. Uh, I was going out there to do a workshop in Tokyo based on Lean Enterprise, uh, which is a fun experience to go to Japan and teach people about lean was sort of <laughs> odd, but a uh, very, very uh, humbling sort of experience. And, and on the back of that, uh, yeah, me and my wife took three weeks to travel all around the country. And uh, Kyoto is obviously a must stop uh, for anybody who's, mm, who's going yep. to Japan. And it was this really famous sort of Zen garden there where there are uh, 17 stones uh, in the Zen garden. But it's never possible to see them all. No matter what angle that you move around this garden, you're only able to see at most 16 stones because of the way they're laid out. (laughs) So it's it's one of these like interesting conundrums, you know, and and a lot of people go there sort of to, you know, reflect on, you know, where they're at. And um, 
you know, the timely port point for me was that I was a sort of year into starting the business for myself, you know, and, and it, it had been tough. Like I, I'd moved to America to start the business with two, uh, two other people. And, you know, at six weeks in, it became pretty obvious that we all had different assumptions about what the company was going to be about. Hmm. And, you know, I'd quit my job, moved to America, full Ooh. of hope and dreams. You know, I'm <laughs> going to land here. It's going to be great. I'm working with two people I admire. They're brilliant. This is like the American dream is the movie right here. You know it, right? And six weeks in, we all are just looking at each other going, this is not what we want to do. What happened? What happened, you know? So, um, it was tough, you know, and so I, I literally like got into the minus uh, points in terms of my hopes and dreams on the back of that and really, really had to sort of claw my way out of figuring out like what did I really want to get out of uh, starting this company as I as as we had started it and and what did I want it sort of to become afterwards. And, you know, you're full of um, feelings of regret and anger and you know you're fed up at the other people that they let you down or were you stupid to do what you did or you know i had to work through a lot of that stuff yeah and um you know this was just sort of one of these funny poignant moments you know and i'm sitting there going why can't i see 17 rocks like i there must be a way to do it <laughs> you're um, trying to solve the riddle you know it you know and and it's just there's such a parody there i think with any entrepreneurship activity where it, you know, it's it's embracing uncertainty as a lifestyle is, is how I sort of feel about starting any business. And many of the things you believe will be true are always turn out not to be the case. And mm. it's tough sometimes, but it's also super rewarding uh, in other times. And, you know, like that, that was sort of the real inspiration for me, just really a chance to sort of capture some of my lessons learned uh, with that blog. And it's it's so funny you mentioned that, like, um you know, it's one of those blogs I think I wrote that more people reached out to me on the back of it to say, God, you know, I've been 0.4 and 0.7, man, that's my life right now, mm. you know, or um, I'm just connecting with people, I think, you know, who who have realized that uh, entrepreneurship is not necessarily the, hey, I woke up one morning, went for a jog. And when I got back by lunchtime, I built this amazing app and now we're a massive unicorn and everything's going perfect. <laughs> and, you know, I think it, I think it just encapsulated the grind that is associated with, um, you know, continuously trying things to find out what works and what doesn't. And the same with the company starting it, like I be, we all believed we had the same idea. But until you actually start road testing stuff, you never really find out, you know, and um, sometimes what you find out is not what you hope. But mm. again, if you can adapt to that, uh, if you can find ways to sort of recognize that, you know, failing sucks, you know, but but you can sort of work your way through the ashes and learn a little bit about yourself and recalibrate and, and go from there. And I think um, that was sort of my, you know, that was how I started this company, literally from the ashes of, of like a get and getting to ashes very quickly which was kind of sad in itself but you know wow so what so what happened then well you know like um uh, you know i sort of was left with this dilemma of you know what do i really want to do and at the time my my wife works for the world health organization so she she actually does like good things in the world you know like she was 
part of the Ebola and Zika virus response team. Mm. She works in the wow. World Health Organization. And um, you know, she was still based in Geneva um, on the back end of the pandemic response to the Ebola outbreak in, in um, Sierra Leone. Um, and I'd come over to America to start this company. So we were already like going back and forth between Europe. And I was sort of like trying to figure out, like, do I, you know, what do I really want to do? And do do we really want to make this, uh, you know, shot of it here in the U.S. for a while? So, you know, I, I did what I often do uh, when I'm stuck in this these uncertain moments. I, you know, I started describing to myself, well, what what is my vision here? What is success for me? if I was going to try and build this sort of, you know, like a, a consulting advisory business, like what would that look like? And, and um, you know, I started to map out in two years what I would be doing and then just work backwards from there. It's like in two years, a year, three months, what would I have to be doing in three months to sort of find that out? And funnily, I sat down and had this conversation with my wife and she's like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's see the KPIs. Let's come up with like, how will you know <laughs> that this business is working in three months time? And, um, you know, I, I described the outcomes over those different time horizons of two years, a year, six months, three months. And um, and that was it. And then I was like, let's give it a go. You know, and that set up my own sort of next round of experimentation, really. So I, I knew roughly where I wanted to take the business, you know, and um, set some outcomes and started coming up with some experiments to give it a go. And, yeah, it was pretty fun. You know, like, I, I, I'm, I'm a... I am an experimenter. I think anyone yeah. knows me. Uh, like I, you know, I advocate through either lean software development or product development. You know, I sort of like live it as a lifestyle. You know, it's not like I, I'm one of those people who I'm, I don't think I'm like a Tim Ferriss type weighing out four gram, five, <laughs> 4.5 grams of protein with every meal. I, I, just, I don't think I'm that level. But I, I, I am deliberate and intentional, and I know when I'm in uncertainty, I've got to have a system in place to help me make some good decisions along the way. And, um, you know, using that philosophy on myself um, helped me to sort of like figure out what I wanted this business to be and then know if it's actually moving in the direction I wanted. And, you know, I, I was new to the U.S. It was my, my two uh, uh, founders were much more established in the US. They had a network, they had, you know, people to pull on where for me, I had to sort of start from scratch. And, you know, so like, you know, success was like going from zero to one, from yeah. one, one to three, you know, from three to five. And, um, you know, and I think it's one of those odd things about a business is you, you have to be patient, but you also need urgency to keep, like to keep pushing. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, no, I was lucky enough. Like I, I, you know, I found one or two clients who had read Lean Enterprise and were were you know, curious to try and apply it in their company, and um, that got me started. And you know, we just sort of started to build from there. And three months in, I hit my KPIs, and we sort of, you know, I had the conversation with my wife about, you know, what she wanted. She got offered another great opportunity to keep working on the Ebola project, so she's like, well, you know, let's let's do six more months where. You know, she she was still working from Switzerland, and I was in the U.S. And you know, we'd go back and forth, and um, yeah, and just over time, we've just sort of built it up, bit by bit, podcast by podcast. You know, meet yeah, more yeah. people around the world <laughs> like yourself, and um, it's it's been a lot of fun. And um, you know, I, what I what I so love about that story is is kind of exactly what you touched on. Like, you, you know, you and I are still just getting to know each other, um, and right away I could, you know, it was super clear that you are like, 
you don't just talk about experimentation. Like this is, this is like your life, right? So it's like when you come into a company, you're not just like spouting off these ideas that you've never tried. You're like, no, no, I put my family through this. Like, (laughs) you're like, believe me, when I say this has been battle tested, like I'm talking like the kitchen table, come to Jesus talk with my wife. (laughs) Like we have have tried this stuff. So I I just think that's amazing because not only does it give you, I think, a, uh, a deep level of, um, intimacy with the material you're, you're teaching people, but also like there's some legit credibility there. So one of the things I'm really so curious about, like you, you talked about uncertainty as a lifestyle, right? And going to back to your, to, to the joke, right? About like, oh yeah, I went for a walk, had a ham sandwich and now I've got a unicorn startup, right? <laughs> it's like, that's, that's how it works, right? That's at least that's what, that's what the, that's what Silicon Valley, uh, the TV show shows me. Um, yeah. but I think you're really hitting on something with that idea, right? Of, of, you know, when I think about all the, all the significant projects I've ever worked on or anyone I know has worked on or anybody who I, you know, where I actually have gotten to know the person beyond the, beyond like the press release or the, the Twitter bio or whatever, you know, there's always this enormous, enormous amount of uncertainty, um, on personal levels within, within the project itself. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the jokes I, I like to make with some of the engineers I work with is like, yeah, you know, anyone who's ever built and shipped a product, like you ask, you ask the customer who's happy with the product, they love it. You ask the person who worked on it and they're just intimately familiar with like all of the flaws, all of the hidden, ugly stuff that they're just like, Oh, don't even get me started on that thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm just so curious about like, when you think about how, how do you, I mean, obviously experimentation is a major theme in your life. But when you think about it, like zooming out from just the tactics of, of business, right? But you think about uncertainty as a lifestyle. How do you, how does, how do you think people should approach that? Like, how do you approach, how do you approach navigating that uncertainty? Yeah. Um, it, you know, I often have this mantra of like thinking big and starting small. I, you know, I, I think I, I say that quite a lot. And, um, you know, and I, I like just other simple examples from my life, you know, when, when I, I finished, I love travel. Right. I was always I grew up in a small town, tiny little fishing village, 5000 people in Ireland. You know, like it's still there. Ninety percent of the people are still there. Right. It's um, and, you know, I always knew I wanted to sort of travel and see the world and get it. And, you know, it, that was just my thing. Um, and like the way I would always try and like have this aspiration, but I'd always do something like really, really small to start. And what and. So, for instance, when I when I finished um, uh, university, I literally was like, I'm going to backpack uh, around South America and just go for six months and see what happens. Couldn't speak a word of Spanish, travel, travel on my own. Yeah. And, you know, and for so many people, they were like, that's crazy. What You know, and this is like uh, just at the start of 2000s. You know, so there wasn't even and. If for me though it was like that's what I want to do. So how how would I prepare myself to do that? You know, so I used to do like little things like I booked a ticket to just get a train from like London to Amsterdam on my own for like 3 days to find out like what would it be like to just travel on my own for a little bit of a while, right? So it's only 3 days. Like what could possibly go wrong? Sure. Um, you know, and 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 doing these small little like little tests almost. Right. If I'm going to disappear on my own for six months or a year, just travel on my own, like nobody to talk to. What's like people like you know get nervous about that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, 
I just did it for three days and I survived. Can I do it for a week? I do it for a month, you know? And, and so, so a lot, a lot of that sort of pattern of like, I have these, I, I do think like, yeah, go travel on my own for a year. Let's go do it. Um, but then I might start small with like a three day trip and, and see how I get on. And, and that pattern is sort of ingrained in me in so many things that I do, right? Start a business. I'm, yeah, right. Well, what's the smallest thing I could do tomorrow to start finding out if that's going to work for me or not, or how, how that might, how I might experience that. And I think, um, so th- I think that's the uncertainty as a lifestyle type thing, right? I'm always the person where people are like, Hey, let's go to this festival or Hey, let's go to this, um, thing. And, you know, I don't always go, yeah, great. I want to go, but, but I'm, I'm curious enough to like find out like, well, how can I find out quickly if that's something I would be into or not? Hmm. Um, and rather than sort of get hung up with the, no, I don't like that, or no, I wouldn't do that, I'm much more of the mindset of, well, how can I try something quickly to see if I like that? Would hmm. I like that sport? Would I like that type of food? Would I like that type of um, product? And um, th- I think that's that has served me very well mm-hmm. in terms of fig- not only figuring out what I like, but figuring out myself and um, I guess I'd encourage more people just to do that is to think rather than yes or no, think more like try and try quickly, fast and small and figure it out. Yeah, you know, that that's much more my more sort of approach, I guess. Was it always like that for you or did somebody teach you this? You know, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny. Like, it's one of these things like when it's only when people ask you these questions and you reflect on it, you're like, well, shit, yeah, that's actually what I'm doing. And, um, you know, like I was very lucky, right? Like my, my folks were are, were great at encouraging me to sort of do things, right? They they weren't, they were sort of um, give it a go type people, you know? And, um, and it's funny, even when you think about so much of the research now from people like Carol Dweck, who wrote a fantastic book called Mindset about a growth and fixed mindset, you know, like, I think my parents were practicing that um, without research to back them up, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, totally. You know, it's, it's sort of like um, those, those sorts of things have been, you know, they become very intentional to me now as well when when I'm working with people, when I'm you know, spending time with people you're trying to help is just encouraging them to try rather than sort of letting them believe that they're good at something or not good at something. Um, because it holds so many people back from doing stuff that they could be amazing at, but they'll never find out because they're like, Oh, I sucked. So I sucked at English in school. Like I got D pluses in, in English literature all through school and thought I couldn't ever write anything, you know, and here I am down the road with two books because I found a different way to create content, hmm. right? You and I, because talking was a better medium for me to create content than mm-hmm. typing. Yeah. So most of the, the 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 content creation I do now is I talk it. Perfect. And I and I transcribe it, and suddenly I've got like ten thousand words in an hour, and you know most books are seventy thousand words for anybody out there who's who's harboring ambitions to write one. Uh, you know, so I you know. All you need is like seven hours of talking to somebody that's somewhat relevant and record it all. And you got a book. You got a, there's your so, first draft. <laughs> you do that on a go, Saturday. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, it's just like there, there's so many different ways to think about how you can accomplish certain things um, that aren't necessarily the conventional way to do it. And um, if you don't try and figure out what what's your jam, 
in in terms of driving that then you're never you're just you're just going to close all down these opportunities that that uh, life presents so that's sort of more how I come at it from. I love that. I, I love that. I, I'm not a parent yet. And, but I, I think about like, so I, I, the book you mentioned, Mindset by Carol Dweck, that and, um, Grit by Angela Duckworth are like basically, you know, if I, if I could combine two books into one Bible, I, those are probably the two. Uh, you know, I have them like right behind me on the bookshelf and they are just dog eared and tattered like nobody's business. Um, and I remember specifically like, like, uh, begging, literally begging my brother to read these books. I was like, I will buy them for you. I will read them to you. Like what, whatever it takes. I don't care. Right. Cause I have two little nieces that are absolutely adorable. And I was like, okay, I was thinking a lot about how do we, as the adults in the family, like how do we model for, for these kids? You know, cause I mean, I'm not a parent yet, like I said, but what I have gathered from talking to lots of parents is that, you know, it's not like you can say whatever you want, but it's really what you do that they're going to pick up on. And so it's, it's really kind of that idea of modeling. And what I'm really curious about is like, was there any, any particular behaviors that you think like when you, when you think about like, you know, did your dad model something for you or, or now that you're a dad, how do you think about modeling these types of behaviors? Yeah, it's um, everything you're saying resonates massively, right? Like I, I, I see this so much, um, because people do judge you on your actions, not what you say, right? And wh- whether that's in at a family context or whether you're in a company, mm-hmm. yeah, we're an open, transparent, collaborative organization. I sit down in your cubicle and get your work done, <laughs> right? Like pe- people, people see the contrary and they 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 call it out and and you know you lose credibility. Whether that's with your 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 kids, your friends, and or your colleagues, right? And um, for me, I think, you know, one of the most important roles of any uh, leadership activity is you've got to role model what you're looking for other people to do. And um, whether that's if you want people to try things in your company, you should be trying things. If you want to create a culture that's open and inclusive, you've got to be open and inclusive. You know, one one of my favorite uh, stories from, uh, you know, I coach uh, executive team at this massive bank. And, you know, classic bank, very bureaucratic, hierarchical. And what I used to love is like one of the most senior execs in the whole company. What he used to do is when the grads all came in every year, he would go and like sit with them for half a day and give them all the problems that he was currently trying to solve to see how they would solve them differently, like with new technologies or maybe new methods, because it provided him this ability to sort of like find out what were other ways that people would tackle problems that were, he was so ingrained about how he would tackle them. Mm-hmm. And everyone would sit around the office going, you know, what, what is this corner office exec doing talking to like a grad who just started like two days ago? What, why, why are they doing that? Yeah, what's they shouldn't going be on? Talking to? <laughs> right. You know, yeah, what? but again, yeah. But I, you know, again, it's this idea of it role modeled a behavior where, doesn't matter who you are in this company. You've got something to bring to the table. And I, whether I'm the most senior and you're the most junior, who cares? But I, I could probably learn some stuff from you. And, you know, and I think that's really powerful, you hmm. know, and, and a lot, a lot of the great, uh, I guess, that are leaders and inspirers for me is like, that's the kind of stuff that I sort of picked up is it's really important to sort of live and honor these things if you're serious about it, because pe- people will, We'll call you out on it if you're not. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, like, again, like th- those are some of, I think, the great things, whether you're trying to role model good behaviors for your kids or, or with your friends or, or your colleagues. These, these things are sort of super powerful, I think, and, you know, really make it concrete about what you're about to people. And I think that's really important. Totally. Totally. Yeah. The, um, one of the things that I was like, that came up a lot when I was, um, and we'll talk, we'll talk a lot more about, about unlearn and, and your new book. Um, but one of the things that came up for me when I was reading it and, and listening to your podcast, which is excellent, by the way, uh, that, well, that really Thank started you. coming up as this thread was like the barriers that people stumble upon. Right. And how kind of going back to the idea of mindset, how many of those barriers are, like we, we, I think many people, and I'll, I'll call myself out on this as well. You know, when I've been frustrated at times before, I often, my first instinct, and I think it's a natural reaction is to like look externally, right? Like, okay, there's something in my environment that's messing this up. It's, oh no, it's like that person's fault or it's the way the company is or, or whatever. And yeah, sometimes there's an element of truth to that, but all, every single time I always, if I keep, if I stick with the inquiry, I very quickly find like, okay, yes, there may be something outside, but there's also some piece of this that's mine to own and I need to be responsible for. And I'm curious, like what, how do you, cause you've, you have seen more people go through this process than I think anybody I've personally spoken to. Um, but what do you see yeah. people get tripped up on and, and how do they, how do they get out of those, those, those gaps? Well, look, um, you, you're touching on some of the most important ones, right? I, I always think, um, the, f- the first one for me is always curiosity, right? Like how interested are you really to like get information that's counter to what you believe? Mm. And and the si- simplest examples of this is say you're working with someone and you give them a task to do that you know how to solve or you've solved before. And then they start doing it in a different way. What's your reaction? What's your reaction there? Right. My, so my first reaction is I go, I, I almost want to like reach and stop him. Or I'm like, hey. And then I'm like, no, no, stop, stop. Let him, let him do it. Let him do it. <laughs> like it, my instant reaction is I want to like reach out and almost protect them. Cause I like, don't want them to waste their time. But then instantly on the back of that, there's like this other, I don't know where, where it's coming from, but this other thing that's like, no, no, hang on. Let's see what happens. <laughs> right. You know, and, and it's, it's such a classic, right. Yeah. And, and even when it's coming from positive intent, as you're describing there, it's very easy for us to go, oh, no, you're doing it wrong. No, you do it this way. Right? And and this person could be creating an innovation and you're just like chopping it off. I'm just or, cutting them off at the knees. <laughs> right. Or, or you're removing all this sort of expression from them, you know, like, and so, so, you know, that's, that's a classic one. Um, the ownership piece you mentioned is, I think, uh, probably the next most critical if not the most critical in some respects because ultimately when we're not getting the results we want who who do we point that to you know do do we blame that someone didn't do what they were going to do this other team is letting us down it's my manager's fault or you know and 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 it's it's a very human reaction but like ultimately you know the only people we can really change is ourselves and the only way we can really be have any agency is by doing things differently ourselves. Um, and I think starting with that is so important is if you can really own the results, you know, just like when I started the company with two other people, it'd be easy to blame them and go, oh, it's their fault that it didn't work out. You know, but but what I also found is when I sort of owned it, we said, right, well, this hasn't worked out. 
I'm part of that, made, made the things I believed were not true. So now what am I going to do differently as a result of that? You know, and that just unlocks a whole different sense of accountability and ownership about how you can work your way out of these things. And I think if you're not someone who's willing to do that, I think you're going to really struggle to both really learn and unlearn things that are not working for you, you know, and, and, and then there's so many other things like our, you know, our natural biases, our biases exist to make us help us make decisions quicker. They're helpful. They also hinder us, you know, being aware of some of those things, uh, our, our desire to always be correct. You know, our dopamine hits of that great feel. That's my favorite. Doesn't it just feel so good to be right? It feels oh, so good. good. Hit, hit me again. Hit oh, me again. Yeah. Like, it's like a, you know, so. And, and it's, it's like these things are, you know, they're, they're within us, you know. And then we have externalities like maybe the incentive structures in the companies that we operate within, you know, the leadership conditioning of the places we're in great leaders tell people what to do so i'm going to tell everybody what to do yeah you know so so it's sort of hard to just out a sense to be aware of these things and you know not not to go down the rabbit hole in the mall but just just sort of be aware of these things and and if you can ask yourself tougher personal uh, reflection questions you know um, i think that's where you get a lot of benefit and what i've noticed with the you know, the the true, like, outstanding performers I've got to work with, reflection is part of their their habit, you know, whether it's daily reflection or weekly reflection or, like, they make time for it. They're not just doing stuff all the time. Like, they they make time for it. Um, and, and probably the classic example of this is there's a great story of when uh, Bill Gates met Warren Buffett for one of the first times, mm-hmm. you know, and Gates is like phenomenally known for like managing his time down to like the five seconds in his calendar, you know, and he, 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 if he ever looked at his calendar, it was like all these very micro meetings and everything's just like jammed in. And then when he met Warren Buffett and looked at his calendar, there's like two meetings in it for the whole week. <laughs> and he's like, what the hell's going on? And, and you know, it, Warren's like, well, look, the, these two things are really important. And the rest of the time, you know, I need to be thinking about stuff. Uh, and, you know, if, if something important comes up, I'll put it on my calendar. But I'm I'm going to make time for thinking, you know. And, yeah, and it's it's such this, like, different juxtapose of these massively successful people. But, you know, it, it's, it's just always interesting to sort of, like, compare and contrast those methods a little bit. Is and, that, I wonder, if, is that the source of the, I, I think they later, maybe they later became famous, but I, I always heard the story that Bill Gates had his, like, famous think weeks, where he would just go off the grid for, like, a, I think it was a week, a quarter, which is a lot. I mean, for a CEO of Microsoft, that is a lot of time off the grid. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if, if that's where that came from. I, I don't know, but, you know, I could definitely see why it, it could. Right. And but like but I think both of us do that to a certain extent. Right. Like last week I was in, in Glacier National Park where there is no phone reception. And and I'm just like hiking around. Yep. You know, and and looking at the world go by. Mm-hmm. And, and I, kn- I know coming back from that already. I'm like refreshed, I'm I'm focused and recalibrated, you know, and, and that, you know, that's part of why I do those sorts of trips, if that makes sense. Oh, perfect. And, yeah, um, totally. 
you know, and I and I try to build in prompts. Like I know I reflect better in the mornings, so I try to say every every second day I have like little fifteen minute uh, reminder for me to go reflect on some stuff. You know, like look at what you're working on, look at some of these outcomes you're aiming for, what's working, what's not, what what are the little tweaks I might need to make over the next day or two. You know, being aware of the 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 big thing I'm aiming for, my little small step along the way, and um. It's just a good habit for me. And I think when I speak to people about it, yeah, people reflect, but I don't think it's like a deliberate reflection. I think it's sort of I'm working in an agile team and I have a retrospective every two weeks. Oh, yeah, I'll just I'll just rock up and start reflecting in the meeting. They're not, they don't do any beforehand. Reflection switch on. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and um, so, you know, I think I think, you know, we're we're so. Uh, overloaded with like sensory information and stuff to do and backlogs to finish and tasks to get done. And it's very easy to feel like the adrenaline hit of like just go emptying your, your in tray. But I think like the power of reflecting on what's actually in that out tray and lining it up to what you're really trying to achieve and what is working and not working, you know, like that, that is a, a skill that I think few people really deliberately focus on or try to master. Why, do you, I why think, do you think that is? Is it is it just a time thing? Because it's one of the. It seems like one of those things that you know, like 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 good like all good habits, right? Like we all know what we should be doing, and I think this is a, a, a common theme in a lot of your work at the organizational level, right? Like we we know what we should be doing. Most people in an organization have at least some sense of like, yeah, we should be doing this, or whatever. Individually, you're like, yeah, I should be saving more in my four hundred one k or my IRA or whatever, and yet we don't. Which to me is like one of the most fascinating mysteries of life is like humans and why we do the things or don't do the things that we do. What do you see? I I just see that um, it feels like the propensity is always to do more. The more you're doing, the busier you are, the more you're getting through your high output. You know, like we're trained in that, like we're conditioned to to do that, to do 60 hours a week to be the last person to leave the office to like all these, like, you know, there's sort of an, there is an ego to it as well. Sure. Yeah. But again, the more things you have moving, the more context switching you're making, the more context switching, the quality is going down, the energies are going down, you know, so again, counterintuitively, the way to make more progress is not to do more things. It's actually to do less things. And find out if those things that you're doing are actually driving the outcomes that you want. You know, like really making two or three bets and exploring them well is better than making a hundred bets and sort of half-assing them all, right? Mm, and yeah. and and dealing with the switching costs of all of all those hundred things. You know, so it's it's definitely one of these things that I try to work hard on is like limiting the amount of things I have in progress. And and you've you've got to find your thresholds for these things. We're all different. But I know if I that feeling like when I have so much stuff going on and I'm trying to spin all these plates and keep them going and, you know, it's a, it's a rush. It feels great. But then sometimes I'm like, why the hell am I spinning all these plates? Half of the stuff I don't even care about, I don't want to do. And you've no you've no mental cycles left to like really consider some of the stuff that you really care about and you really want to go after. 
and do well. And I think that's that's always one of the things that I think I definitely observe with great people I work with is they've great focused. They they actually do less uh, to fi- to achieve more. And um, it's definitely one of the things I'm always trying to practice in myself is just not having too many different types of things in progress because the price of context switching is so high and the quality of what you do goes down. Um, and just being aware of that, I think, is is important for people because it builds anxiety and stress. And Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with um, with Cal Newport's work? No. Oh, okay. You, I think you were going to love this stuff. So, uh, I, I won't qu- say he's quite on like the personal impact level for me as, as Carol Dweck and, and, uh, Angela Duckworth, but he's not far below it just in terms of foundational stuff. So this guy's name is Cal Newport. Uh, he is prolific, I think is really the only appropriate word as both an author and a computer scientist. So he's managed to be both like a, I think he's like a five time five time five x author uh as well as being a tenured professor at a very young age at georgetown in computer science and that that already like that right there you're like okay how's this person doing this and what what where i fell in love with his work was probably i don't know six seven years ago he wrote a book called so good they can't ignore you which is like if anyone is feeling lost in their career and is saying what is my passion and where is it? I thought I misplaced it. I just had it, but I can't seem to find it anymore. Like, read that book. Uh, but his, his further work has gone on to explore um, how to have meaningful careers doing great, important work in an age of just crazy distraction, right? So his next book was called Deep Work. Uh, you know, how do you do hard, like important work in with so much noise? And then his most recent one, which is the one that I... Um, uh, would definitely suggest you, you check out, uh, given what you were just saying about like just the ref- how refreshed you feel after, after going to Glacier National Park is all about how do we cultivate is my words, not his. How do, how do you, how does one cultivate a sense of, uh, quiet in a noisy, noisy world that is full of like things beeping and pinging us all the time? And I can personally attest to my life getting a lot better, um, from doing some of the, the digital detox. Oh, that music, that's not the ter- term he uses. He would hate me using that term. Uh, the digital uh, declutter. There we go. The digital declutter uh, that he discusses in his book. So highly, highly recommend his stuff uh, for anybody listening. But also, I think you you would dig it too, Barry. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. No, I, I always I I love recommendations, which is awesome. But it's 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 such a challenge for us, right? And um, you know, we are inundated with requests for our attention at the moment right in in this world that we're in um both uh, social and and work-wise and you know like you people responding to like slack messages at like 11 p.m when I they're like slack. where does it end uh, you know like yeah. and 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 these boundaries are you know they're becoming uh almost un- they don't exist anymore for some some situations right and I think that it's it's a hard training for people to sort of step away from what they're bombarded with, right? Because that's what is expected of people. And some people are happy with that, but you also have to recognize others aren't. And um, that's sort of a little bit about finding out, like, what's your the best of you? You know, what are the systems that you need to have in place so you bring your best every day? And um 
you know, for me, it is this idea of intentional time to work, time to reflect, time to exercise, time to, you know, where where I know what makes my system run at its at, at its best. Mm-hmm. You know, and not and 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 understanding there's always times where you have to adapt. Cool, but I think it's more and more important, um, especially you know, if if we want to do great things for and achieve great things for what we're capable of our, for ourselves is getting to know your your system uh, to help you be successful i think is is key for people and and that is a process of experimentation and trying things and figuring out what works for you and and what doesn't and yeah i'm i'm super curious to read more of his work that's yeah, awesome thank check, you check, absolutely check it out i think you'll i think you'll you'll benefit a lot from it and i think i mean i think anybody would um and as you said like and I think kind of, you know, zooming, zooming it out, popping back up a level, right? Like wh- why, if we try to put this in context, like on one hand, I think we're, we're articulating something. A lot of people, it's kind of in the ether right now. Like a lot of people are dealing with this kind of these concerns, these experiences, these emotions. And I think if we kind of reorient that and put it in context of, of your work, where it's especially relevant is like, you know, if you're distracted all the time, if you're fried all the time from, you know, Slack messages at 11 p.m. every night, never taking a vacation, never having any space to think your own thoughts, um, it's impossible to learn. Like, you, you, I mean, you, nothing of substance anyway. Like, you might, learn, you might learn that you hate messages at 11 p.m., but like how you, you just don't have the literally the physical cycles in your, you know, the capacity in your brain to to really go risk uh, and take experiments and things like that to really move the needle forward. That's that's where I think it comes back around to what we're what we're talking about. Uh, for, for sure. Right. And, um, you know, like and again, it's one of these things where I think for a long time, people used to think like learning sort of happens where you would like take time to learn, practice what you learned, reflect on what you learned. Mm-hmm. Now go back again, take Thank time you. to learn, you know, like, yeah. like these sort of blocks, but you know, and they're like explicit start and ends, you know, and, um, and that's not the case, right? Because you're, you're thrown so much stuff now where you're on a project and you're, you know, you're building a product and someone's like, Oh God, I got to learn about how web services work. I've never built a web service before. God, I've got to be some way educated on that. Oh, and also I've got to get this other part of the system working and make sure that we've got a good pricing model for how we're going to talk to the customers. And right. There's, there's your, there's loads of little things that you're, that are moving, you know, so, and the more of those that are, are coming at you, you know, you are getting into this firefighting mode, Right. So I think having these sort of systems to understand that there are you need to make capacity in time and have thresholds for how much new you can take in and how much stuff you've got to recognize is obsolete and let go of. Mm. Right. And I think that's what came to me often with this unlearning system was I was working with these like, like phenomenally competent people. Right. They're running these massive organizations. They're br- brilliant people. And, but what I what I found was like more of the time, not learning new stuff wasn't the hard thing for them. It was actually letting go of their existing behavior was even harder mm. because th- those were the systems that had made them successful. And when they're time poor and when they've lots of stuff coming at them, the, how do you solve the problem? Oh, I've got this hammer. I just used the hammer for everything. Oh, mm-hmm. here, here's hammer, 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 hammer. And, you know, it it, it wasn't the best move in every scenario. But they had no time to even think about 
using any other tool or invest time to learn another tool because the one that they had used was working for them. I'm I'm the most senior person in the company. Of course it works. It must be working. Look at look at all my stuff. You know, so I think that was a real aha moment for me. And then starting to help people understand these systems to recognize, well, where are you living up to those expectations of yourself? You know, people ask me all the time, well, how do I know I need to unlearn? And mm. and it's the the thing is it's so um obvious until but until you're told how to do it. And then everyone's like, Oh God, I should have known this. You know, <laughs> but but they but um Again, people don't take time or have the time to reflect, you know, and the simple thing is when when I say to people, well, here's a little thought experiment for uh, the listeners. How do you know you need to unlearn? Well, think think about a, a, a challenge you're facing where you're not living up to the expectations you've set for yourself, or maybe you've set some outcomes you want to achieve and you're not. Is there a scenario or a place where you're struggling? Um somewhere where you're actually you're struggling to resolve a, a challenge that you've got or you're actually avoiding it completely because you're just like, oh, I can't even think about dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you've tried everything you can think of and you're still not getting the results you want. Right? Like people can answer five different things for each one of those questions. Right? They're all signals that your existing behavior is not driving the outcomes that you want. So you probably need to unlearn. Mm-hmm. And yet most of those things just feel like, oh, keep them at the door. And I'm just going to keep doing the same stuff I've been doing always and expect a different result. And I think I think someone called that insanity at one point. <laughs> Indeed, it has been called that. You know, and so I, I think it's just like, once you, I start to introduce these ideas to people, they can see a system there and they're like, ah, you know, so so I when I'm working with people, I'm like asking them, like, you know, where, where do you need to unlearn? Answer these questions for me. See what you come up with. Hmm. What challenges surface? You know, and then try and prioritize one of those to say, where do you think you're going to have is, is really going to help you the most and limit the amount of things you're trying to change about yourself. Just think big, but start small. And learn and learn fast what's going to work for you, and I think um, that is where this sort of system becomes really powerful for people. Because you know, if you're changing too many things, it's impossible to know what led to the result you wanted or not. You know, so again, mm-hmm. this idea of like doing less to achieve more, small little changes, controlled sort of sample size, or you know, controlled. Um, experiment to a certain extent of what you're trying to change and see what works and what doesn't is super powerful for people. So what challenge did you come up to with in your head when I was, when I was saying this? Yeah, I was, I was just thinking, I was like, okay, I bet he's, I hope he turns this on me. I'm, I'm game. I'll play. Um, so, all right, let's, let's, let's do it again. So ask me the question again. Right. So where, where are you not living up to the expectations you have of yourself? Maybe not achieving some of the outcomes you're aiming for. Uh, a situation you're struggling to resolve or somewhere you're avoiding altogether, or maybe, maybe you've tried everything you can think of and you're still not working, or maybe like your secret sauce has suddenly just stopped. It's not working anymore. Can it be a historical example or you want a current one? Um, 
I think I, let, let's go current. Let's go current. Okay. Then let's we, can, we, can, we can workshop this live. <laughs> All right. We're going to workshop this live. Um, okay. So there is a situation that I'm dealing with in, in business right now where um, a particular partner that we're working with, uh, I am everything I have tried and I've tried everything I can think of is not effective in getting them to operate in a way that like based on what I see in, in the people that I'm working with in, in this particular setting, um, based on everything we see, we think there's a pretty clear path forward. And um, we, I have been totally ineffective at getting the people who need to take different actions to take different actions. I think that's probably the cleanest way I could say it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the, that's the situation is that I see like what what to me is a very clear path uh, about what we need to do that I I believe I can't promise it'll work, but I believe it's our highest odds, like our high, our best chance path. Uh, and to me, it's extremely clear to several other people that I have obviously been effective in convincing. It's very clear, but I have not been effective in convincing the people who actually need to take the actions along this path. Nice. Okay, cool. Right. So there's a couple of tactics I not often try in, in this sort of space, right? Okay, great. Uh, first one, it's like, um, what's, what, what's the real outcome you're aiming for? Like, if you totally dissolved this problem, what, what would be happening in like a year's time? That is an excellent question. Uh, what would be happening in a year's time if we totally dissolve this? I think what would be happening is that the the group that I'm working with on this would be totally um, they would be totally self sufficient in an experimental, innovative kind of way. Like they they would they would um, be thinking on their own. Like they they would be thinking this way on their own without anyone needing to like you know handhold them along the way they would they would just be running cycles quickly um and not not they would have they would have overcome either the external or what i believe are actually more of the internal blocks to actually being aggressively experimental that's what i think would happen great yeah and if they're experimenting like what what would be some of the things they're doing uh they would be running a lot more customer tests they would be um yeah, more customer tests. They would be putting products in front of, they, they would be putting unfinished products that are not like totally packaged and polished and, you know, signed off on by every regulatory authority in front of people to actually gauge customer response. Uh, I mean, a lot of the lean startup type things that, that, uh, you know, you, you and I both love. Right. Great. This, so this is brilliant, right? So, so what you're describing there already is like behaviors. Yes. Right. Like what, what people would be doing differently than they're doing today, running customer tests, shipping stuff more frequently, right? Like just getting, getting stuff that wasn't perfect. Yeah. Out, like, out in front let, of I think the fast, the simplest way to say it is like letting go, of, like stop waiting for perfect and of iterate your way to quote perfect. That's what I think yes. the, the, the summary. Yeah. So, so what, what I see, so you're starting to define outcomes there, right? Which are, which are super interesting. Like, what I normally get people to do is like write that down, like write the story you just shared, like okay. write it on a one page okay, and, and then go back over that story and look for like the key behaviors that are different. So you said things like testing with customers, shipping more frequently, right? Often they're often verbs because mm. they're verbs are new behaviors. Mm. And then I normally sort of try and say to people, right, well, 
how much more or less would they be doing those things on, on a sort of ratio or rate level? Right. So, I, you know, I'm going to guess at the moment that testing with customers, how frequently are they doing that? Not very. Uh, it's very, right, okay. it's very infrequent. <laughs> okay. So say, say you say like we would increase the rate that they test with customers by 200%. Yeah, I would, I would probably the, phrase in, it in like a time interval, like they're, you know, putting new things in front of customers, uh, no slower than once a month. Okay, cool. Right. So you write that. And, and what I would get you to then is put that down as an outcome that you're aiming for and put that like write that down in sort of a center of a circle. Right now, if I said to you, if you were trying to get a team to you know, increase the amount of customer tests they've done to like every month from you know, once every three months, right? So by two, 300%. What would be some of the behaviors you think could make people do that? What, what would encourage them to try and start testing more? What could you do? Hmm. I can't change their incentive structure, so that one's out. Yeah. Um. Smart. I could, what could I do? This, oh man. All right. I'm going to out myself here. <laughs> so <clears throat> one of the things that, uh, and this is, this is me reinforcing being a learner because I'm learning, I'm learning live right now, like out loud <laughs> and, and giving myself like intern. And we'll go back to that in a second. Um, good, yeah. so this is, this is a moment, of, uh, a really good learning moment for me. So one of the things I just noticed in thinking about the answer to your question was that I allow, I have allowed my frustration with these particular people to kind of color the lenses through which I view all their actions. And so I'm typically only and this. I, Oh, this is nasty. I'm catching. I'm only catching them doing things wrong. I'm not catching them doing things right. And so one thing I could change is to catch them doing things right. And it actually like encourage them as simple as that sounds. Right. But I'm like, oh man, like I just got so frustrated that I just was like, oh, and I stopped paying attention to all I started seeing was what they're doing wrong from my perspective um, and not seeing any of the things that they're doing right. Brilliant, right? And, and I that's, feel really that's, gross that's, saying that, but you know what? I have a commitment to myself to like own the mistake and learn from it. So there you go. That, that's why I'm not worried about you, Andy. You know, it's like, <laughs> but like, but, but the, these are the things it's like, when you start to like go through this, right? Like, yeah, I, I can encourage them more. Um, I could bring customers into the office every week and just see, let other teams test and see them observe. I could, you know, and what happens often is it's the obstacle that present, presents ourselves, right? And we just see the obstacle so much that we're like fighting this obstacle and we forget about like what's the outcome we're actually really trying to aim for. You know, and that's why it's trying to pull people out of the, the you know, the thing that's right in front of them to sort of go look back. Well, what are you really trying to do? You know, and listening to you, you're like, I want my teams to be experimenting. I want them to be with customers. I want them to be iterating, you know, and, and then you're like, well, how do you get them to do that? Oh, yeah, you, you, you sort of get them, you know, and, and suddenly you're, you've pulled yourself away from this obstacle and you're back thinking about outcomes that you want. And it reframes mm. your whole mind, you know, and I, and I think thank you for, you know, your honesty there and sharing that that as you go through that process, you know, and we're all guilty of this because when you're so like in it, all you can see is the obstacles. Yeah. And I think pulling yourself back out to see the outcomes is this 
you know, it's very, uh, the best method I've, I've discovered of like reframing your, where you're at and, and getting this, you know, something else to try. Mm -hmm. And who knows if this is going to work? Yeah, it's worth a shot. Right. But it's, it's a, it's a whole like different place to be in than two minutes ago where, where we're in this, I'm sick of this scenario. I can't think of anything to solve this. And now suddenly you're like three or four new ideas to try, to try, you know? And I think that that's just like, uh, so I think powerful when you, when you get into that spot. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, I, that's a real gift. I really appreciate you taking me through that. No, like, like this is honestly, it's, it's been so interesting, right? Because I am as guilty as the next person of falling into these traps and, I'd love to say I live and breed and dog food this stuff myself every day, but I don't, you know, and I think that's why in, in so much of this, you know, it's hard to do it on your own. Mm. It's like you were asking before, like, why don't we do this stuff? We know it's the right thing to do. Why aren't we doing it? Mm -hmm. uh, and in many reasons, we can't just do it all on our own. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why for me, like the power of reflection the power of coaching, the power of feedback from people you trust. You know, like these are all mechanisms to sort of break us out of that sort of execution uh, rut in some respects. Mm, yeah. And and building that into your system is important. You know, like I, I, I have people who coach me. I have people who, when I build things, I value their feedback because I know they'll tell me what sucks and what doesn't in, in a, you know, positive kind of way. You know, there's, you know, so I, I have my reflection time for me to look back on what I'm doing and is it really what I'm uh, getting the results I want? And, um, you know, so the, you, you, these things are all just countermeasures to help us. And um, I just really encourage everyone to try and work some of, some of those sort of tactics into their system of operation, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. and um, see, where, see where, where, how it can help you. Totally. What's coming up for me right now is one of the threads that we were talking about earlier about like the obstacles that come up for people when they're really trying to take on this, this system, you know, a system like this, uh, which to me is really like the behaviors that embody or, um, exemplify really like a learner mindset, right? Like when I, when I really think about kind of what's underneath all of this is it's like a foundation of the growth mindset. Um, it's grit. It, and it's being a learner, right? But it's not just like talking about being a learner. It's, <clears throat> it's doing it. It's being a learner. Uh, in, in practice. And I think the biggest obstacle I've seen to being a learner is something that I am very much still practicing. And I got an opportunity to practice that live with you here like two minutes ago <laughs> is uh, the, the obstacle is being right. Right. Like we, like we talked earlier, it feels so good to, to be, to be right or to think that we're right. Like it just feels so fucking good. And the thing that I, I, the, <clears throat> I had this coach, uh, this brilliant woman named Jen and, and she would always just hammer me on this. Right. Cause like one of, one of my, uh, negative patterns that I'll go to when I get pissed off of something or frustrated is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get self-righteous about it. Like I think I'm right. And I'm super convinced I'm right. And I have the evidence for it. And I've like built the case. Right. And, and I know other people do this too, but I'm just, I'm just outing myself so that everyone else can, you know, find, find themselves and what, what I'm saying here. And I'll have this whole thing. Right. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, shit. Okay. Maybe let's say, and I'm like, you know what? Let's say I am right. Maybe, maybe I actually am. But then it's like, well, but what's it get me? And the answer, I have never had any answer to that question other than nothing. 
Like I've been right a million times and it's bought me Jack. <laughs> like it never yeah. buys me anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? You know? Um, but I, I, and I just think so much of that is like a doctrine that's being pushed on us. You know, like that's the narrative that people have created about what is a great leader? What is a great founder? What is a great innovator? Mm. You know, like people always drag out poor old Steve Jobs, dig him up from the grave and <laughs> leave him alone, people. Steve, Steve Jobs was, <laughs> he was always right. He, you know, like, you, you know, know what? Actually, the, there's a story. Have you heard? I'm sorry to cut you off. You actually finished it all. all uh, if it's still relevant, no, I'll chime I, in. I, no, no, no. Go, go. go so you said, you know, they, people always say Steve, Steve was always right. So, but have you heard what, uh, there's a story that I can't remember if it was Andy Grove or Larry Ellison who told this story. I want to say it's Andy Grove, uh, who is, you know, legendary, uh, CEO of Intel and like really popularized the whole OKR system for anyone who's not familiar with him. Go check those out there. They will make your life better. Um, but the reason I brought that, I thought of that was, um, I heard the story a little differently. It's cause, so people will often will say like Steve was always right. But the story that I thought was more interesting um, and more revealing of, I think, what probably actually went on um, is that Steve wasn't always right, but Steve always got it right. And it's like, well, what's the difference? And it was this idea of being a learner where uh, from what I've read and, and listened to people, not I never knew Steve Jobs, I never worked with him. Uh, but what I what I learned or what I've heard from people is that you know, he was like strong opinions loosely held. Like he had very strong opinions, right? He was famous for those strong opinions and he demanded of everyone around him that they challenge his opinions. Like if you believe, if you saw it differently than Steve, it was like your obligation to dissent, right? And I think that's a big, big value in, um, I think it's McKinsey, the consultancy as well. They have that same idea. Like if you see it different, like you have a duty to speak up. And, but, but the, the weird thing about Steve was apparently you could convince him, right? Like you could argue back. And if he, if you convinced him, he would just completely jettison his entire former beliefs and just completely flip. Like if he was like, nope, you're right. hundred percent switch. And, and within five minutes, you you might think he was the one who had like thought of that before. And for all the things that I have read about Steve Jobs that I don't want to emulate as a leader, as a manager, et cetera, I think that one is absolute gold, right? Like, cause to me, like the, 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 the learner mindset gets, um, the thing I try, I am actively practicing is, uh, cause, and I'm, I'm blatantly stealing this from another reference that I'm going to totally, totally tell you to check out. Uh, I'm blatantly stealing this from a guy named Tom Bilyeu who runs a, uh, studio called Impact Theory, which is maybe my favorite podcast. Um, brilliant. Check his stuff out. Um, and he, I'm totally stealing this from him. Um, but it's this idea of the learner mindset being anti-fragile. Like it's the only thing that when attacked grows stronger because if, if you can get yourself into a position where every time someone shows you how you're wrong or you discover a mistake, like we just did about like this, you know, I felt gross for a second there about like the way I've been relating to these people that I work with. Um, but every, if you can, if you can train yourself to actually make that like a, a positive neurochemical reward, Behavior. like yeah, then, sure. then you're off to the races. Cause like, a, and I, the only reason I got so excited was the split second after I went, Oh, I feel really gross about this. There was a split second later. There was this reward that came in that was like, yeah, but you're being the learner right now. And that's awesome. And I felt really, really good. And I was like, Holy shit, this works <laughs> because if I could admit yeah. that out loud and feel good about it, like that, okay. Then I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about what else, like where that will take me. So that was a long I, I, rant, but that's what, I, that's actually what, um, 
I was thinking about it. Like, I think that might be the solution to the, like the, how good it feels to be right is what if we could make it feel equally good to find out we're wrong. Right. And, and discover new information. You know, I, I think, um, what's great about what you're describing is the sad part for many people is they get trapped in the, maybe it's shame of feeling that they thought they were so right. And then they were wrong that they have to fight back. Mm. So they never get the second insight that you have here of, well, hang on, I've just made a discovery. Wow. That's actually way more useful than me feeling, was I right or wrong? I've discovered something mm-hmm. and I'm, and something that's going to help me go in a better direction. You know, like that, that is iteration at its heart. That's true. I, I describe innovation as new information that leads to better, uh, better action. Mm. Right. And, and if you are able to like, really dial into that you know you're undefeatable you literally are because you're just a learning machine and not getting trapped on the result recognizing it's a process and if you have a good process to get new information and see if you're moving in the direction you want that's awesome if you if you get trapped in the result success or failure of the result of the thing you did did it get a positive result that's fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. That's where you're, you're that's And I, I see a lot of people get stuck in that, you know, because they're, they, you know, they're in a team, they build a competency for being the best coder or the best product manager. And they're always right. They always get it right. And then suddenly you give them a problem they haven't thought, used before or tried before. And then they're always, they're hundred percent records up, up. Mm-hmm. What, kind, what kind of behaviors are they going to mm-hmm. start to implement in a team? Versus someone who was like, well, look, I, if I can build a good process to find out if I'm right and just trust in a process that will help me figure out, like the result just is positive, negative, but it helps me move in the direction I want, that they're totally different people, mm-hmm. you know? And I think um, it takes it takes a while to, I think, sometimes evolve into the person who recognizes that you're going to try lots of things when you're doing wicked problems and lots of them aren't going to work. And lots of, sometimes they are. And if you can have the humility to recognize that, um, I think you're in a much better place. So kudos to you. Keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, you know, one of the things I was curious about that you, you mentioned was, so, you know, there's the famous, um, I think it was came from Malcolm Gladwell, the whole 10,000 hours rule. Right. And, yeah, which which we will we'll debunk in a minute. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I was gonna I was gonna just tee that one up and ask you to if you if you would debunk it. But it, in, in particular, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on um, maybe the trade off. I'm going to use that word between hours and iterations, and if one is more valuable than the other. Yes. Yeah, so you know the 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 whole ten thousand hours idea. So the person we really want to listen to is a guy called Anders Ericsson. He he right. So yeah. So he he's um, really the expert here in 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 performance. And I think Gladwell, you know, he's he's a writer. So he's like, yeah, ten thousand hours to be a pilot. That sounds good. Just just do the hours, and then you're done. You know, do the training course, and then you're ready to be a scrum master. You know, like <laughs> Get that CSPO so, certification. You're off to the races. You, you're ready. <laughs> you, you can change the world now. You know, and and um, I think what's very interesting about Anderson, and and he has this amazing, like he, a small little example in his book. You know, where where 
he would invite in one of his students um, every week and he was trying to teach them him a system to like count up to these like really, really high numbers. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, so you could try, try and find a way that he could sort of um, double numbers or double primes or something, you know, where, and um, every week he'd come in and they'd practice this sort of method about, and the student would develop his own system where he sort of went from being able to get like to five consecutive to 12 to 13. And I think around 15, he sort of started maxing out um, because he was deliberately practicing this method every, every week. And um, so that was sort of interesting to Erickson, you know, and then what he did is he got the student to go and invite one of his buddies to come in and try and teach him his system for how he was like counting up to these really high numbers. Um, and the student explained his system to the, to the other student who was sort of like, okay, that's kind of interesting. But he sort of started using his own system that built on top of the previous student's system. And he was able to like exponentially count to much way, way more higher numbers mm-hmm. because he was sort of taking someone's idea and building upon it again and again and again. Right. So th- this whole idea of who was smarter both of them had the exact same IQ, same intelligence, same everything. They're both, both great students. But the idea is that they were deliberately practicing different techniques to try and drive certain types of outcomes. And you see it like when people are practicing um, instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you need to start small with things, like very simple routines. Trying to play the guitar, you learn chords. Then once you know chords, you can start to do multiple chords. Once you know chords, you can start to go up and down different fretboards, right? Like there's a, there's a, this, you have, but the problem is you have to keep taking on more and more difficult challenges to stretch your knowledge thresholds Mm -hmm. to encourage you to keep reinventing the systems that you're using to get better at things. So as the first student just created a simple system to count up to 13 consecutive prime numbers or whatever, the next student then took that and built on top of it so they could go up to like 52. The next person will take what their system and build on top of it to go to higher and higher levels of performance. And what most of us end up doing is we get a problem, we solve it in one way, and then we stick with that system for the rest of our lives. So we cap our ability and then we don't take on more challenging problems because we're sort of afraid in some respects, or we feel like we've already figured it out. Hmm. Um, and it's one of these reasons why I'm a big advocate of growth means always trying to do new things all the time because it exercises these muscles of learning, of trying things and not working, of pushing yourself to find like new edges of what your capabilities are and what you're trying to achieve. And for me, like that's, that's mastery, you know, and um, that's the sort of deliberate practice that I have is continually finding my, the edge of my comfort zone, getting a little uncomfortable and seeing what kind of stuff I can create as a result of taking on more and more challenging tasks. And, um, 10,000 hours, like doing something for a period of time doesn't make you a master. It's like actually practicing more and more difficult tasks to try and find new systems to get to higher levels of performance is actually what gets you there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
No, I, I love everything you just said, because, and I think it's one of the one of the areas you and I really resonate on because, you know, just listening to you, I'm sitting here in, in my head going, yes, 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 because I I just love anything that helps people develop and express who they are, right? Because I, I believe human potential is nearly limitless, and I just love seeing, I love in whatever domain it is, whether it's at work, at home, in sport, whatever, like that, I that to me is such a beautiful part of the human experience is like that discovery and exploration of our own potential. Like how far can we take this thing? Like, I don't know, but you know, guys like Anders Ericsson, uh, I think have really done seminal work in showing us the, what the path of mastery looks like. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm really curious if you have any insights on this. So I, I, I'm also a huge fan of, uh, of Erickson's work and, and the entire sort of that whole field of, of deliberate practice. One of the things that I've beat my head against the wall on a little bit, I'm curious what your thoughts are here. Um, if my memory on this is correct and I totally might be screwing it up, but I, I think in his book peak, uh, Anders Ericsson sort of broke out a couple, like almost like levels of practice. And this, the first was I, maybe they called it like naive practice or simple practice, something like, something like that. Right. And that's just sort of like, yeah, I'm just repeating the thing and, and you know, whatever, I'm just doing the same thing over and over. And then the next level was, I think they called it purposeful practice where you're, it's like you're describing where, you know, you really are pushing your edge, whatever that edge is, you're, you're pushing it. And then they talked about, uh, the idea of deliberate practice being this this true gold standard where not only are you doing that, but you also have really tight feedback mechanisms like with a coach. Um, and typically it's in a domain where like excellent performance is well understood, like, you know, sports or music, right? Like we, people have been doing that for a very long time. And what I, what I found myself wondering about was like, okay, so then where does, if I, if we try to bring this into, you know, like day-to-day life of somebody's career. How does someone actually go about doing this and working this into their like life as let's say a product manager, right? Where it, it isn't as well defined as like what virtuoso violin, violin playing looks like. How, how do you think yeah. about translating these ideas into like the day-to-day work life for people? Uh, let's just, well, you can take product manager as an example. Well, it's funny if I bring it back to the, you know, the blog post that you, you mentioned at the start, I wrote like a retrospective on entrepreneurship, right? Like w- one of the, one of the points that is important for me, it was a couple of them. It was like, find a mentor uh, or even better, find a few, you know, because so much of the stuff that we're doing, especially in product management, it's an emergent field, right? It's still early days for a lot of this stuff. And nobody has it figured out. And what's also more, sometimes more in- inspiring for me is like, what are people in other fields done that are similar to this? And what, what kind of understanding have they got about how to solve it? Yeah. You know, like, and, and looking for these people. Right? <clears throat> Simple example, even with product management at the moment, you know, like one of the big issues we have in product management is that we're building these systems that are so complicated we're not even sure how they work or how people would use them. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and, and simple examples like Facebook's hacking is such a simple example of that, right? Like people are generally trying to build a feed and the next thing you know, um, it's being hacked by bots to manipulate people's perspective of what they're watching. No product manager built a system to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just people are using their product in unintended ways. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that's a safety issue, mm-hmm. you know, and, and but and then you know for me I started to dig around and I found out that this there's this whole field called resilience systems engineering hmm. 
which is like based on people trying to solve these like ridiculously wicked problems. Like how do you make a, a nuclear power plant safe hmm. when you've so many moving parts about it, you know, and, and they had these problems in aviation about how do you make planes safe for people to fly in them that they, you know, so it sort of had me digging around and I found out all, all these like people who are working in like safety fields, like, and, um, you know, that that opened up a whole new group of people that I didn't even know existed before. People like Sidney Decker and Eric Holroom and David Woods are these characters who've been like working with NASA when they're like in the space station and they're trying to figure out like why astronauts are doing spacewalks and potentially killing themselves because they're not sharing all the information that's happening inside huh. um, the space station because they want to run their missions. Um, it, like just this wealth of stuff going on out yeah. there. Wow. That I'm like, there's there's something to learn here uh, in my world based on these people trying to create safe systems in high stress, high expectation, high tempo environments. And um, I just want to go find these people and hang out with them. Right. And <laughs> so, so, so I, and, but I, that's our mechanism. Coaching is a mechanism. You know, feedback from customers, from people you trust, that's a mechanism. You know, like you, you've got to build those into your system, right? And, you know, again, for me, like other things, like finding a trusted group of people I can collaborate and share my insecurities with, my fears, my challenges, my, you know, all, all these sorts of things is like building this sort of system around me to help me be successful, mm. you know? And I think um, you need to be intentional about that, you know, and uh, because nobody can do this stuff on their own. I think that's the biggest fallacy of all. Mm. And and recognizing that if you can build these sort of countermeasures in, you know, um, it's funny. I had uh, uh, Gibson Biddle on on uh, on the podcast before. He, he's the VP of product for Netflix. Yeah, it's a great and episode. He, he, yeah, he describes this having like his own personal board of directors, you know, where he like brings people onto his board that he's like, all right, I'm trying to learn how to do public speaking. This person's great at that. You're going to be my, you're going to be the director of public speaking. It's like, sounds like 1984 already. <laughs> you're, you're going to be the head of communications. You're going to be the head of, you know, but like that's the self-awareness in yourself. Yeah. About knowing where you got gaps, who can fill them, who can mentor you, who can coach you, who can be a collaborator, who can be, you know, and, and I think when you're like that, that de and deliberate and systematic about these things, you know, that's what's helped me sort of pull through. And, um, you know, I, I, I live and breathe those things and I definitely would encourage other people to be thinking about it. Have you gone through that process yourself of like creating a personal board? Oh yeah. Like I, you know, there's, that's, it's, it's huge for me, you know, and like, that's how, like I said, I, I have, I have two coaches. Who the hell is two coaches? Me. Right? <laughs> because, you know, one one of them is focusing, very focused on specific aspects of, of myself. Like, how do I feel? How how am I spending my intentional time? I've got a business coach. Somebody saying to me, coaching me about how to, like, run and operate a business better. Right? Like, I, I you know, I am the most uninterested person in business operations that you will ever meet. Like, <laughs> Expense reports couldn't give it. I, you know, yeah, this is like the end interested. of my life. <laughs> not interested, you know. But I got you. Got to do it when you're when you're running your own business, right? And 
So I have people coaching me on how to do that, you know, and then myself, like running myself well, mm. people coaching me on how to do that, trying to learn new technologies. You know, I've great mentors around me, like people, uh, Adrian Cockcroft, who is like um, VP for AWS Open Source. And he's just been like, he just gives me like two nuggets of wisdom anytime I see him. And I just always, he encourages me, you know, um, Dr. Ed Hoffman, who was at, at NASA, you know, I'm I'm sitting there, sitting there going, oh God, maybe I've maxed out. Maybe this is as good as it's going to be. And he turns around to me uh, when I spent time with him a few weeks ago, and he's like, I can't wait to see what you do over the next thirty years. And I was like, <laughs> I hadn't, I just hadn't even thought of that. You know, I was sitting there, like sitting in my head, going, this is it. This, I'm never, it's never going to get. Maybe oh, I've maxed out. I've tapped out. <laughs> you know, and it's just like. Just as a quiet, like one sentence like that just sort of gives me this whole like re-energizing about myself, you know, because they're, they're people you admire and, and it gives you perspective, you know. And um, so, I, you know, I think just ha- having these people around you and deliberately like digging them up and recognizing where you need it is, is super powerful. And, um, and I think it's a good exercise for us all to do. It's like nobody is great at everything. Um, and and a, a very simple small system I think that might help people. There's a there's a book called the E Myth. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and it's a really really old book. And um, it's got this like really like super simple system. Um, and uh, all it is is like it just gets you to like think about your business, and it's like a classic sort of like a wheel type scenario. You know, there's seven or eight different facets to it, or whatever. And you just sort of go around this wheel and you score yourself on a scale of zero to 10. Like, how good am I at business operations? How good am I at marketing? How good am I at sales? How good am I at product delivery? Whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very simple uh, system. But, like, the insight that you glean from it is super powerful because you're like, you know, you look, no one's 10 across the board. If they are, they're lying to themselves. But but then it, it makes visible to yourself, like, okay, Actually, for me, I really sucked at, you know, uh, business operations. So I need to get some help with that because I, I don't want to do it. It takes energy away from me. So I'm, I'm going to get uh, someone to help me with that or coach me with that. And, um, you know, oh, I like, I like um, you know, the delivery part of my job. So I'm, I'm cool there. But the marketing stuff, maybe I'm not so good at. Maybe I'll get some help there. And, you know, it. All these things is just raising your self-awareness and finding where you can get support and trying to build the best possible team of people around you to help you achieve, you know, whatever mission you're going after. And uh, that's true of whether you're starting your own business, where you're leading a team and, and, you know, what do you you care about what you're trying to do with your life? So that'd be definitely a little, a little tip I'd give people to think about. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, and I, I love the, the, the theme that like that all just sort of fell into this really beautiful umbrella you created, like if nobody can do it alone. Right. And I actually want to push it, explore a little bit there. And I know we're running a bit short on time, but, um, one of the things that I really am curious to hear about is I know you, you have done a lot of work with organizations doing what I'm just going to refer to as sort of cultural transformation, right? Within, within an organization. Sure. And to me, like I've, 
I have um, dipped my toes in that water and found it to be very cold water. <laughs> like I, I have found that to be from the limited efforts I've put in one of the hardest, maybe the hardest problem in business is how do you change culture? Right. And how do, how do you shift culture around? And when, when I'm listening to you talk about this, right. I'm so fascinated by it because my, my twin fascinations, professionally speaking, are product development and work design. Those are the two, those are the two labels I use, right? Like how do we, and that's really the genesis of this entire podcast is how do we use, um, how do we develop amazing products and amazing environments for the people who make those products so that everybody who comes into contact with that environment and that product is better off for the contact. Like that was the genesis of kind of everything I'm exploring. And that's the overarching question that this podcast is exploring. And we've talked a lot about products. We've talked about learning. We've talked about that, but I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time on that culture bit because uh, especially, you know, riffing on the idea of like deliberate practice and, and how you have to really, as you said, you have to systematize it. You have to weave it into your sort of your daily rhythms. Um, and I think that work is such a beautiful untapped opportunity for that, for personal growth for people, because we spend half our waking hours at work, at least in the United States. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably more. <laughs> probably more. Right. And so I'm like, okay, well, shit, if you're going to be there all the time, you know, like let's get the full spectrum of what's available there. And, and so I guess my, my question to try and turn it into a question instead of just a ramble. Um, is when you think about like cultural transformations, I almost don't even know where to start. I'm hoping you do, but like when you think about that, of of how do you weave? How do you? If someone's listening to this and they really love these ideas, right, and they want to weave these into their daily, let's say their daily work life, and let's say that th- that's not the way the culture is right now, how should someone start? Like, you know, starting small, going there, because obviously you can't change everything at once. But like, how would you how would you advise that to start? Yeah. And uh, and you're, you're sort of hitting the nail in the head in different ways. Right. Culture transformation is big, amorphous, amorphous. It's everything and it's nothing. You know? <laughs> perfect. You know, and <laughs> sounds like a perfect uh, problem. It, it is a perfect problem, you know, and so. It, it's overwhelming to think about how do you do culture transformation, but it sort of goes back to this point that we we talked a lot even at the very start is the the thing that you can control in that big system is yourself. You know, you have agency in that system to start trying to change yourself, to role model the behaviors that you're looking for other people to create in the company. You know, and and what you're hoping for is that by people seeing you role modeling these behaviors, that it has a network effect essentially on the rest of the system, the rest of the people in that organization. You know, and and my my favorite example of this is I coached the leadership team of a very well known bank. I, uh, Samuel L. Jackson might use them, for instance. <laughs> and, and you know, we we were doing this sort of um, they were doing an agile transformation. And, you know, the, the CEO of the company was like... And just really you know, quick, for, for anyone who's not familiar with Agile transformation, what does that mean? Oh, it's, uh, it's often when people are trying to create a, a better way of delivering products to their customers, right? Changing the way that they build and release software, working in smaller iterations and so forth. They, they, they had the concept of Agile Everywhere was the name of their initiative. Okay. They wanted their business to be more agile, more adaptive. Gotcha. And... Um, you know, so so he started going to himself. Well, if we're going to 
ask everyone else to do this, we're, we should start working in that way. Um, and, you know, so we started working in that way. And what he realized is, and, that, you know, one of the things in Agile is you do this a retrospective at the end of an iteration, so for one or two weeks. So we did it for two weeks. And after two weeks of working together, we did this retrospective where we reflect on the things that we've done for the week. And, um, you know, we, you ever, often you get people together, they write on post-it notes, they stick it up on the wall. Mm. So he goes off and he writes this post-it note down. He sticks it up in the wall. And um, sort of shock in the room. Everyone's like, oh. and and they're like, yeah. the, the post-it note said, agile is hard. <laughs> you know? And and everyone was like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, well, look, I, I thought we were being agile. But what I realized is that we just measure output. You know, in all our meetings, we just talk about the tasks we got done. None of us talk about the outcomes we're achieving. You know, and, and if we're going to be agile, we have to talk about outcomes so we can iterate the things we try rather than just ticking off task lists. And everyone in the office was like, Jesus, wow. Okay. And, and this is the leadership team, right? Yeah. Team of 12. Like a very senior person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And But he didn't stop there. He went back to his desk. And he wrote uh, an email that's, and the subject title was Agile was hard. And he sent it to 50,000 people in the company. Whoa. And it's like, Hey, everybody. Um, I know we're going through this uh, transformation. As part of that, you know, we're trying to work in a different way. And what I found out from this doing my first retrospective this week is that we weren't actually working in an Agile way. <laughs> and it's really hard. Yeah. So good on everybody out there. This is tough. I know it's tough. I'm you know, encouraging people to try and keep it up and, and we'll get there. Literally, like, people were, like, stopping me in the corridor going, how did you get this person to write this email? And it was like, the, the magic was he created agency for other people, hmm. right? Like, it created this ripple effect across the whole company from just one person sort of making it safe, making it vulnerable. You know, so... You know, the way I try to say to people is you you have more influence than you realize and you have agency, but it's got to start with yourself. And if you can keep role modeling the behaviors you're looking to create, that will inspire other people because people are watching. And if you say it and live it, you know, you'll be surprised the network effect it can have in a culture transformation because again organizational transformation is just a collective impact of individual transformation hmm. yeah so what i i love that story what i would well, i want to push you a little bit because the the I'm, I'm trying to imagine the what someone who's skeptical about this would say and what comes to mind is they'd say well yeah but that was like the ceo right so they can do whatever they want people are going to follow so what if someone wants to make some sort of transformation like this, right? And model it and, and be uh, the, the tipping point for some sort of change in their environment. And let's say they don't, they're not the CEO. They're just some person, you know, a, a fairly low level employee within whatever hierarchy they, they, they work within. How does that change things? Does, or does it change things? Well, again, it, trying to find little ways to start small, right? And, there's a very great place to start making change in your company every day. So if you're in a company, where do you spend most of your time? Uh, probably at your desk or in, in your little work area. Okay. And if you're not there, where, where are you? 
Let's go with Phoenix. I think that's the answer okay. you wanted. <laughs> thank you. That, thank you. Great plant. Thanks for that. Uh, no problem. Yes, meetings, meetings, right? So, you know, and, and like the reason I imagine you are so, uh, let's say, excitable about meetings is because most of them are a massive waste of time for people. Totally. Right? Like they, they, they're a total waste of time. Yeah. So, you know, I always say, you know, one of the hacks I always encourage people to do is the best hack ever in a meeting is five minutes before it's meant to end, just stop the meeting and ask people, how effective has this meeting been? And mm. go around the room and listen to what people have to say. And, you, you, you know, you might you might be surprised with some of the stuff that you hear. And you can simply say to them, well, how, how could we make it better next time? And go around the room again and maybe just pick one or two of those ideas and implement them in the next meeting. And that, if anything, can have the most profound effect in a company because people start asking, why are we doing this? Is it effective? How could we do it better? And you can have a more of an impact on a team because everyone who will leave that meeting and go, wow, that was a great idea to actually ask if this was a good use of our time or not. I'm and totally they'll go into their that. next meeting and do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, just big and small, uh, get out there and, and, and give it a go. And I, I look forward to hearing how people get on with it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I know we're, we're running short on time, but, um, uh, a couple, couple of closing questions. Uh, first of all, where, where can people find you online? If anyone wants to get in, reach out, get in touch, share stories. Sure. Yeah. Uh, BarryO'Reilly.com is my website. I'm uh, Barry O'Reilly on Twitter, LinkedIn. All the socials. Um, all the socials, yeah. I, 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 I always had this knack of just getting Barry O'Reilly at the right time. I think I just I, the right person tells me sign up to this before I, lo- I have to be Barry O'Reilly 48. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, and uh, any, any requests of the listeners? Any, any asks you would have of uh, anybody listening to this? Yes, who I, like I love hearing from people who've maybe been inspired by our conversation, tried something new, you know, reach out and tell me what you've tried. Send me, uh, you know, a little a, tw- a blog, a tweet, whatever you've done. I'm always curious about how people have used it in ways I've not anticipated, especially. So, perfect. Don't be shy. Yeah, and we we will link to uh, to Barry's new book on Learn and all the other things we've mentioned in the show notes. But uh, Barry, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing, and for just a really fun conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, it takes two, pal. So thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us reach way more people and build this community up. For show notes, links to the resources, and everything else we discussed, please go to enliven.fm. Feel free to reach out with questions, feedback, or just to say hello by emailing connect at enliven.fm. Be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. We'll see you soon.